Hello and welcome to SEO SAS. Your hosts are the intelligent, witty, surprisingly super strong and all-round wonderful lady Sarah McDowell, SEO specialist at Like Mind Media and me, Hannah Bryce, SEO manager at Holland and Barrett. Why SEO SAS? Well, consider as your special answering service when it comes to SEO, as we love to give you answers to questions, chat through and debate topics, and even get other experts on to talk about the latest and greatest when it comes to SEO and digital marketing. This show is brought to you by the team at LikeMind Media. LikeMind Media help clients find their audience and start having conversations with them, whether that's on social media, content, or even podcasts, just like this one. We're actually using their podcasting equipment right now. They're super lovely people who take time to understand your business and think like Thanks, Hannah. Sarah, how are you? Can I just do a round of applause for my introduction? Thank you. I've been working on that. <laughs> I mean, I'm blushing. Surprise. You are surprisingly super strong. Well, I was going to say, if anyone knows me, I've got the feeblest arms known to man. So they look yes. it, maybe, but they aren't because we've done many an arm wrestle and <laughs> you always win. Well, what can I say? I don't just do SEO, I do arm wrestles as well. <laughs> How is this Saturday treating you? Yeah, very good, very good. It's nice to have a Saturday, to be honest, because all days merge into one right now. Oh gosh, I forget what day we're on. Do yeah. You know- I mean, it's good that I have work because with work, you get a sense of, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the weekend. But it's getting a bit repetitive, isn't it? Life at the moment in lockdown. Yeah, just life. (laughs) Just just life. Now, I have got a massive smile on my face and I'm guessing you do too. We're very, very excited because we have got an awesome, awesome guest lined up for you guys today. He doesn't really need an introduction because if I say his name, most of you are going to know who he is. Right, Hannah? Yes. So today we have speaker, author, co-founder of Moz and Inbound.org, Whiteboard Friday God, I love a Whiteboard Friday, and now co-founder of Spark Toro, we have Rand Fishkin. Hello, Rand. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Hello, hello. How are we doing? Oh, doing quite well. I'm halfway through my morning coffee here in rainy Seattle and feeling much better than I was half a cup ago. (laughs) This is good to hear. Also, I wanted to make an offer. I think you should let me record an introduction for the SEO SAS podcast. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes, please do. Please, please do. That would make our day. Yeah, yes, wouldn't that, please. Wouldn't that be so fun? I, I kind of want to do several versions, like, a, you know, maybe a, a cheesy sort of Better Call Saul commercial uh, and, uh, you know, a very serious uh, masterpiece theater style one. And yeah, maybe we can, we can just cut them all together. Be delightful. Yeah, hi. We'd love that. We'd love that. And I think um, you were very, very kind about our podcast um, when we were just chatting just now and said some very nice things about it. So yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll pretend I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I did. No, uh, so, so here's, here's what happened. When you uh, emailed me, right, I went and listened to one of your podcasts, your podcast with Arij, actually. And 
I loved it so much, I ended up listening all the way through right to the last five minutes before I had to cut off for a meeting. And uh, I feel like, you know, I listen to a ton of podcasts because uh, at least a single episode for all the ones that I go on, which has been a bunch the last like 90 days. Uh, and I just enjoyed it so much. You have this natural style and you, you don't, I don't know, you don't interview people, you have conversations with people. I loved it. It was exactly what I needed. This is definitely, because obviously podcast is a lot of effort and we love it. And what is even more amazing is when people say such good stuff about it and someone is experienced and highly thought of in the industry like you, it just, it just warms my heart. Like, I know this is going to sound really lame, but it just make, it makes me feel emotional. Oh, <laughs> and Sarah is not well, emotional. It, <laughs> yeah. it should, right? I mean, I feel like anytime you put, you know, you put your effort into creating something and and making it public and trying to attract an audience you know you're you know exposing part of yourself right you're vulnerable and yeah when it's well received and well done it just means the world i i've had that experience many times i've had the opposite experience too right where you put something out there and it's total crap and i mean that was <laughs> the first like five years of my career was just doing stuff that no one cared about some of the times you've just got to go ahead and get stuff out there um, because there's there's so many things that I read about people wanting to like perfect stuff so much that it sort of holds them back for getting stuff out. So sometimes yeah. you've just got to, you've got to do it. And yeah, and I mean, anything that I see you doing, Rand, definitely like, it's amazing. Very polished <laughs> and very professional. And like, obviously the founder of Whiteboard Friday, you are the Whiteboard Friday god. But have you... Have you seen, have you seen early Whiteboard Fridays, like the first couple years of them, 07, 08? I have gone back in time, yes. And well, I mean, like, I look terrible, the whiteboard <laughs> looks terrible, it's blurry, <laughs> the video quality's bad, the audio quality's bad, I'm stumbling over my words, I'm interrupting myself with like and um every few seconds, the content is mediocre at best, it's not great, right? And so I think one of the other things about doing creative things and getting them out there is that you're, you're trying to improve, right? You're trying to make something better than what it was before. And yeah, that's a challenge, but it, but it is doable. It is doable. And every time I publish and edit a podcast, I'm always looking at a way to how do I better it this time? Or I try and learn about something else that I can enhance the quality even more. So, so yes, like you've got to do stuff and you've got to learn from it. Right. I feel that a good way to sort of get to know you, Rand, is if we do a quick fire round. I love it. So I just want you here just to answer with the first thing that comes into your to your head and yeah we'll get the raw rand the real rand on the podcast slightly sleep groggy <laughs> weekend rand okay are you ready ready dogs or cats dogs favorite type of pasta oh carbonara oh good one i think i already know the answer to this one tea or coffee coffee favorite animal Ooh, frogs. I mean, I want to ask so many questions on that, but no, stick <laughs> it. I'm going to carry on. Climb a mountain. Right, we'll come back to it. Climb a mountain or swim in the sea? Climb a mountain. Favorite bagel topping? Ooh, uh, gosh, I love cream cheese. Plain cream Ooh, cheese. Ooh, original. I like that. Just, yeah. just plain cream cheese or are we having any herbs in there or anything? No, I'll occasionally do 
whitefish. That's a pretty, uh, you know, Northeastern Jewish thing. My, my grandparents, my grandfather in particular, loves whitefish on his bagels. Awesome. I'll have to try that one out. Cereal or toast? Oh, I love them both so much. Cereal. Favorite app on your mobile? Favorite app? Oh, gosh. Um, Are you looking at your mobile right now? I am. <laughs> <laughs> Is that terrible? No. <laughs> What's my favorite app? Oh, okay. Uh, what do you use the most? Is that a easier one to oh, answer? Oh, yeah. Wait, I have usage data on that. It is Twitter. <laughs> that is such a, like, go by the data. I love it. City center or desert island? Oh, God, city center. Obviously. Where Obviously. Else you, where else are you going to eat your bagels? precisely i don't know how to grow wheat and turn it into bagels ain't got time for that okay no nobody's got time for that i might allow you to have two here favorite genre of music gosh i mean i grew up in the 80s and 90s in seattle so grunge has always had a special place in my heart with grunge then when you go to a wedding or some sort of event, the question is, what song will get you up on the dance floor? Is there a specific grunge song that will get gets you up there? God, no. No one dances to grunge. <laughs> oh. It's I'm horrifying. Obviously, I obviously don't know my grunge, do I? <laughs> I mean, so we're sort of talking about like the Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden. Okay. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Like uh, that kind of stuff is, um, yeah, not really, not really going to fly. But uh, I will say I... If we're at a wedding, Geraldine will almost always, my wife, uh, will almost always insist that someone play Come On Eileen. And that that gets not just me up on the dance floor, but everyone else too. That is a good one. That is a very, Hannah, what, 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 what would you say? What song gets you up on the dance floor? I don't know. I don't like cheesy music. So it, something like that would make me sit down, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Controversial. I'm more for something like a, a Rihanna or something like that, like a proper dance tune on the, on the dance floor. Mine's, mine's a bit of a weird one. Are we Galantis fans here? I think so. Rand? I'm not sure what that is. So, <laughs> so the song is, I'll, I'll play it to you afterwards, Rand. I, I'll be more than happy. But it's peanut butter jelly. And it's just okay. such a happy song. And I'll, I'll sing a little bit, but not oh, too much. But it goes, spread it like peanut butter jelly. I mean, I can't believe I'm singing to Rand right I, now. Hannah, you've got you've to help. This is one of my best Saturday mornings. This is amazing. <laughs> I think Sarah's gone a bit delirious. I think we'll move on to some questions if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and miss Go all on. of the magic that could have happened if we'd continued on this topic? I don't know. Well, well we've, we've had similar veins before and it's not that magical. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's upsetting, Hannah. <laughs> is it true but upsetting or just upsetting? I mean, it's truth, isn't it? Anyway, Hannah, you go on. You yes, bring this podcast you. back in. Yes. Okay, so, Rand, we normally ask people how they got into the wonderful world of digital marketing, but reckon most people will probably know your story. So, for those who don't know, can you give us a brief intro into how you're known for being the Wizard of Mars and now a king of customer research? <laughs> uh, so... I dropped out of college in 2001 because I am old now uh, and uh, started working with my mom, Jillian, who's, who's my co-founder, the co-founder of Moz. And we had a very unsuccessful failing web design uh, and marketing consultancy for small businesses here in Seattle. Uh, and to avoid bankruptcy, we 
basically kind of pivoted toward SEO consulting. And I started the SEO Moz blog, which is what became Moz. And then a few years later, after that was getting off the ground and I started getting some invitations to speak at events and those kinds of things, uh, I actually, we, we pivoted towards software. We launched this tool set and a bunch of people subscribed and some venture capital investors reached out and, and thought what we were doing was interesting. And uh, they invested and asked me to be the CEO. And that is, that's how uh, Moz kind of got its start and, you know, grew rapidly for, what, seven, eight years there and, and became a, well, household name in the, in the digital marketing space anyway. Absolutely. And so from there, where are you now? Yeah, so I, yeah, for folks who've, who've sort of read my blog posts or book or that kind of thing, most of, most of you would know that I, uh, I left Moz a couple of years ago. I stepped down as CEO in 2014 and stayed around for, for four years, um, which maybe on reflection was not a great decision. I, <laughs> I had this, I don't know how in-depth we want to go on it, but I had this really weird experience that maybe makes for a, for a fun story. So I was in Boston last fall and this professor at, at Harvard Business School, which I, I was very impressed by, I thought Harvard Business School, that's, that's super fancy and important, uh, reached out to me and said like, hey, I wanna turn some of the chapters in your book into a case study that we do for like Harvard Business School students. I thought, okay, that sounds super cool. So I emailed my publisher, yada, yada. And I'm out there for, what was it? I think the HubSpot inbound conference and go over to Harvard Business School to speak to one of the business school classes. And when I got there, so Hannah and Sarah, it's really weird. It's sort of like this, like kind of half theater in the round classroom structure that they've got at, at HBS. And, and I, I was sat kind of in the front interior seat and the professor spends the first 45 minutes an hour uh, asking the class, you know, the students in the class, there's probably about 70, 80 people in there, you know, asking them, like, what, what do we think about Rand's decision making at Moz? What do we think about this company? You know, where did it go right and wrong? And, and it's basically like this, you're sitting in judgment of your <laughs> past decisions. Wow. Literally. That is and, deep. It was, it's an intense experience, right? Because you, you just, you have all these, I mean, granted, they're, um, they're students, but they're going to Harvard Business School, right? So they're paying, you know, more than my salary in <laughs> tuition. And they come from like, mostly with, with a few exceptions, like very wealthy, powerful, you know, families and stuff, because getting to Harvard is unfortunately uh, not a... Not a lot of people bootstrap their way there, right? So uh, the, the, the professor, he has a blackboard, right? Like classic old school blackboard that slides back and forth with white chalk. And he's writing on it all of the pros and cons, right? Like, like good things and bad things about Rand Fishkin and his decision making at Moz. And right at the top of the mistakes or cons or negatives list, is in all caps he's written it because the the student so many students had suggested he wrote the word lurker l-u-r-k-e-r wow and uh, and and the the you know the the insight behind it was you know rand stuck around 
at this company where he stepped down as CEO for way too long. He should have left uh, right away. And I don't know, I, it was one of those experiences where I had never thought about it seriously before. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I, maybe, maybe, they, maybe, they have, maybe they're onto something. It's a bit like a family experience. though, isn't it, surely? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of weird because I feel like you don't, you don't normally have like a group of people judging your past decisions from the outside and sort of seeing things through a non-emotional lens. Mm. Um, and that was, I don't know, it was almost something I wish I could get more of on demand when I want to, right? Wow. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just... That, thanks for sharing that story because I mean I I don't feel like I'm strong enough for someone to pick apart my decisions like that. <laughs> did they know you were that you were actually there, Rand, or were you just sort of? Did you stand up afterwards and were like, "Thanks for your feedback, guys." They knew I was there, and I think this is the other impressive thing, you know, that I don't think I had this in my educational experience. Right? If if you had asked me when I was before I was a business school dropout from the University of Washington, which is a, a state state college here in Seattle, you know, if you had asked me to judge some, you know, ex-CEO of some company that had come in and it was like, okay, you know, here's this person and they built, they built their company to whatever, you know, tens of millions of revenue and tens of thousands of customers, blah, 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 blah. Now you tell them what they did wrong. <laughs> I, yeah. I would, I would have been like, uh, uh, no, I am in <laughs> no position to judge this person and I can't possibly do that. But I, I think one of the impressive things that, you know, Harvard and institutions like that teach is to have low power distance, right? Just no, I don't know, no sort of shame or, or necessarily, you know, humility or mm. holding back, you know, your feedback. If your, your input is just as valuable as, you know, some, CEO with years of experience, right? And um, Amazing. I bet, I bet that gives a lot of those students who come out of there a ton of confidence right? yeah. to, be, to feel like they are empowered to second guess decisions, even from people yeah. who you know, might be above them in the whatever pecking order of a company structure. Thank you for being so honest on that and sharing that honest story with us. And uh, yeah, I still, still can't believe that. Today, one of the reasons we, we, we got you on today, obviously to chat to you and pick your wonderful brain, but later on, we're going to be reviewing Spark Toro to you. Also, sounds a bit like that, that thing again. It's kind of like, I feel like we're now going to do the same thing to you. Yes. <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really excited about that. There's, the parallels have been drawn perfectly. We, we are foreshadowing in this beautiful artistic way. We'll be kind, don't worry. <laughs> so Park Toro then, for those who, this is the first time hearing about it. So obviously it's a market research and audience intelligence tool. So before we get into that review, could you tell us what the inspiration behind it was? Yeah, sure. So uh, my co-founder Casey and I talked to a bunch of people, this is a couple years ago now, but talked to a bunch of people in, you know, who are founders and entrepreneurs, marketers at lots of early stage 
small, medium companies and agents and agencies and consultancies. So, so similar to the probably to the agencies that you both work with, although uh, less SEO focused and more, I would say, broad web marketing focus. But still, you know, plenty of people who had SEO practices as well, and you know, tried to tried to identify new, unique problems that they were facing, and instead stumbled on a really old one. So we, as we were talking to these folks, it kept coming up that discovering more about where to reach a given audience, especially outside of just Google and Facebook ads, was an incredibly hard, intractable problem that many people just gave up on. So they, you know, sometimes people would say, oh, hey, I would love to be more creative with my budget and with my outreach and with my marketing tactics. But you know what? It's really, really difficult to figure out where I can go reach my audience. So I'll just pay Google and Facebook to do that for me. Or I'll just use keyword research in SEO to tell me that. And I'll rely on my kind of organic social channels to hopefully attract the right kinds of people uh, for that. And we... We saw a lot of people with this, I don't know, frustration that they couldn't go direct to the places where their audience paid attention and do a sponsorship, do, you know, a guest editorial, do Mm. a partnership, do co-marketing, do guest appearances, whatever it was, right? Like this market research side was really hard. And (laughs) weirdly, perhaps not weirdly, we saw, we saw lots of folks who were like, oh, yeah, 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 we, we, we do that. We just pay a market research firm. It's between fifty dollars and $100,000. They produce a big report for us. And it tells us, you know, what percent of our audience is paying attention to which different sources. We're like, holy crap, $50,000 for a, for a one-off report. And it takes, you know, four months of research and, because they have to assemble like a big panel of people. And then they run these uh, large-scale, very professionally done surveys and you know do data interpretation and you know with survey analysis you have to do weighting of audiences and blah 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 anyway mm. the um that process was was infuriating but the the like secret thing that we discovered was a few really really savvy companies and agencies who did this incredibly clever thing where they would identify a bunch of their target audience on primarily on social media like the, the individual profiles, right? And then they'd take a sample of them. They'd take, say, 1,000 or 5,000 individual people who fit their audience profile, and they would go, they'd have uh, like developers on their team build a crawler to go crawl those public social profiles and extract all the data from the public social profiles, and then they would analyze that data so that they could say, okay, our customers, our audience pays attention to X and Y and Z. They follow X and Y and Z. They tweet about this. They post on LinkedIn about this. They put this on Facebook. They put that on Instagram. They, you know, uh, pay attention to these accounts. And that data was awesome. Like so, so much better than survey data because it's not self-reported, right? So you don't have all the biases of surveys and the weighting issues, yada, yada. And Casey and I thought, my God, they're you know, they're spending months of engineer times on their teams to build these tools and do one-off analyses. We should just build that. 
we should build that for everyone so that anyone can type in any audience, their own or any other or any describable audience and get back those insights in seconds. And we were, we were not totally sure it was going to work. So we, you know, when we uh, went out and raised some money from angel investors last year, oh, sorry, no, I guess that was almost two years ago now. Time flies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, and sort of built the first version of it. Uh, we were not totally sure it was going to work. We thought, hey, if it doesn't work, we'll have to try something else. But yeah, a year later, last, I guess that was last spring, we had an alpha version, you know, not a very pretty version, but I started searching for audiences in it and was getting back all this data about what they followed and paid attention to and words they used in their bio. And I was like, oh my God, it that works. Was, I bet that it was works. really, that was really interesting as well. Like, yes, because obviously you've got your eureka moment of like your blood, sweat and tears going into something. And when you test it, it's working. So I imagine that was like a, an awesome moment for you. But at the same yeah, time, yeah. did you get a bit stuck down a rabbit hole with all this data? Was it like, like hours and you were like, oh, I've not moved for like five, five hours because I've just been stuck? <laughs> uh, I mean, the, I think the interesting, the interesting part about it is that, and this, is, this has positives and negatives, but much of the sort of the, while the data itself is very powerful and, and fascinating and super useful, inside this tool, it's shockingly simple and easy. Right. So it's not a, I have not found, even as I've done this, you know, tons of work inside SparkToro for lots of companies and friends, companies and users and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's sort of simple enough that you don't, you don't get too down a rabbit hole and you don't get a lot of analysis paralysis, right? Cause the, the there's just two pieces of data that are very central to SparkToro. Right. And it's exactly what I sort of kind of always wanted to know, which is, you know, if I want to see which podcasts are most popular with people who have SEO in their bio or in their job title, right? I, I just want to know which are the ones that are most popular and what percent of that audience pays attention to those podcasts, right? That's like the two key pieces of data. And once I have that list, I can just sort of go check, 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 add to my list. All right, go do some outreach. I was literally doing this yesterday, um, sort of in the, for SparkToro itself, I did searches around the market research sector, um, which is a unique segment of kind of online advertising world, or, or rather, sorry, classic advertising world, and was trying to find some podcasts to go pitch to, to be a guest on, and found, found a really, really good one turns out. So yeah, I, I started following the, um, the person behind the, the account on Twitter and sending some messages. And, you know, my plan is, is sort of build up a relationship and listen to some episodes before I actually reach out. Awesome. Okay. So just, just picking up on one of those bits there that you said. So you wanted to build Spark Toro for everyone. And <laughs> I want to... Not a great yeah. idea, right? <laughs> I want to really pick up on that because do you think that what whatever area of digital marketing a person focuses on or specializes in, do you, really, do you think that everyone should seek to do more to understand their customers? And if so, why? So, I mean, if they're doing social media, do they need to do more? If they're doing SEO, do they need to do more? Like every area of marketing, do you think? Digital marketing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this is, this is really obvious. Like you can see, I'm sure both of you can see, right, in, in your work with the SEO field that the the more you understand the searcher, 
and what they're seeking and why they want to solve their problem. Not just, not just what problem they have, which is often indicated by the keywords that you type in, but the, the problem that they want to solve, uh, the more you do a great job of solving that problem for them in the content that you create and rank, the better you tend to perform, not just in terms of uh, rankings, but in terms of conversion rate and brand building through that content, uh, the effectiveness of the content's reach, all those types of things, right? That Google is looking for the answer that best solves the searcher's problem. And, you know, and they have very, very sophisticated systems to get to that. And so as marketers and content creators and SEOs, right, we build things for those audiences. And the more we understand those audiences, the better our content tends to do. I don't know if you've ever had like Will Reynolds on the show or seen him in, in person at like conferences and events, right? But he is, he's always talking about this problem of how, you know, SEOs miss understanding the, the searchers through their, their keywords and their desires and how, you know, if you talk to some of those people who search, you interview them, you survey them, hmm. you, you know, you have deep empathy for them. Um, your, your marketing, your content can just sing. Yes. Cause at the end of the day, your marketing or anything that you're doing is only as good if you really understand who you're marketing to. Right. Um, you really need to understand their emotives, what drives them, what, because at the end of the day, we are, the market is flooded. There's lots of competition out there. So yeah, you need to do what you can about understanding your like getting as much as you can into that audience's shoes isn't it the next question i have for you and is a bit flipping it on the other side do you think there are any areas of digital marketing where market research isn't that helpful hmm. yeah i think i think there's probably some some places where the the need is extremely simplistic straightforward and direct and so your market research is not all that critical, right? So uh, what's a good example? Like a, a, if someone does a search for Amazon coupon code. Is this your last search, Rand? Uh, no, it's not, but, but <laughs> probably should be, right? Or, or put it, plug in any e-commerce store, right? Um, you know, you, you know what's going on. Someone's gotten to, let's say they search for Ikea discount code, right? Or, or Ikea coupon code. You know that they've basically, they're in the checkout process at Ikea's website and the little box pops up under where they put their credit card in that says, you know, do you have a discount code? Yes. And someone has gone to Google and searched for a discount code. And you don't need any market research to tell you what they want. You know exactly what they want. Unfortunately, almost every website does a terrible job of delivering it, but, and part of that is because most of the time they're not available, but the, you know, reality is you don't have to interview anyone. You don't have to survey people. You know what that search means, right? So I think in those cases where the, the need, the customer need is incredibly obvious and simple mm. and straightforward, eh, market research, not yeah. all that crucial. You don't have to um, overcomplicate things, do you, right. sometimes? Like, the answer is right there. Yeah. If someone searches for a particular part, you know, replacement part for their automobile, eh, yeah. <laughs> do you need to do a ton of research? No. You, you know what they want, right? They want that part. They want it shipped to them quickly. They would like a low price. Ta-da. 
Job done. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> so that, that leads on quite nicely to my next question then. So for SEO in particular, when it comes to understanding potential customers, there's still loads and loads of focus on intent. And mm-hmm. it's kind of, that's, that's the buzzword. It's still the buzzword. But that's, it seems like once you've sort of said, okay, we've looked at, is it transactional? Is it research? Is it informational? Then it, it stops there. Do you think that SEOs could be missing a trick by stopping here? And is, is there any examples where that might be so? Yeah. So Sarah, Hannah, I'm sure you've both seen this, right? All the studies that show the high correlation between longer content and better SEO performance. Yes. So I, my theory is that it's not that Google loves ranking longer content. Like this is, this is not what's actually going on. What's happening is Google loves ranking content that does a more comprehensive job of solving the searcher's problem and solving the searcher's next X number of needs, right? So like I, I perform a search for, I don't know, UFO videos, right? And, and the, the piece of content that Google is going to rank is not just the one that solves that first need, but the one that solves many of my next needs, right? So in, in, the, in the case of videos, they'll probably show me a YouTube channel that has numerous things about UFOs and, and maybe will send me down a conspiracy theory hole, right? But the, a, a really good example of this is someone who's searching for financial services, right? So they, they might search for something like joint checking account, right? My wife and I want to open a checking account together after we've just gotten married. And so Google won't just show me individual banks that are offering their own joint checking account, right? They'll show me instead, you know, content from publishers who compare and contrast different joint checking accounts. And they'll show me the ones that have detail on the interest rate and on the requirements to open it and yada, 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 right? They're, they're sort of looking for the one that answers all my questions. And so my, I think there is value in going beyond those you know, initial three types of analysis and, and digging into the why and digging into the who, especially if you have a more complex query, right? Like who is looking for this? Oh, joint checking account usually means partners. Oh, it usually means romantic partners. Okay, let's make sure that our messaging and communication speaks to that. Let's make sure that we are inclusive of folks who maybe had previously not been uh, well served. I was looking at a, a website that had some stuff on joint checking because actually I was. Uh, talking about this with Will Reynolds, and, and he was showing an example that had a lesbian couple. And we were both like, oh, that's, that's so great, right? Because you know that, 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 that LGBTQ plus folks who are in uh, romantic relationships and want to open joint checking accounts together, like that has only in the last 10 years opened up at all, right? That's a really underserved audience. And it probably resonates really, really well with that group when, when you present people like that as just a, a normal part of how you provide your service. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, super cool. And I think that's a, such a good point and really nice to hear because it's the who and the why 
when when yeah. you're searching or when you you're trying to meet the needs of whoever's searching but then it's also the what next it's the the questions that they didn't even know they needed to ask but actually are super helpful which keep them on the site and then make them realize you're the expert and buy from you yeah yeah ex exactly I, I think the um the deeper your understanding and the better you're able to communicate that you understand that customer that you understand their needs and you can serve their next 10 questions with your usually longer form content right uh, that they have after getting the initial answer oftentimes the better you will do in search so nice to hear it is, it is so nice to hear it's all about giving the user or the reader or your potential customer the information that they want and they need so so yes it's so refreshing for you to say that let's hope lots of people are listening to this episode when it goes live <laughs> i mean my theory my theory is that like you know if if the three of us were working at google right and we were on the core ranking team we would be looking at data like did someone who performs this search essentially like go from Google onto this website and then they did not come back to Google later and perform similar related searches. Because if they didn't do that, that must have mean, meant that their query was resolved. Like yes. this website solved all their problems. And I think that's at the core, that is what Google's you know, sort of organic ranking algorithm is looking for. It's looking for the content that resolves the whole journey not just the one question. I mean, we'd all be very rich if we actually knew exactly what Google wanted, wouldn't we? Imagine that. We'd be making it rain. <laughs> I don't we... know. I feel, like, I feel like the answer people have always asked me, right, like over the course of my career, like, hey, what's the secret to ranking yes. number one in Google? And I feel like we know the answer now. Oh, that's pretty, you, you sound pretty uh, positive and confident. With I, that. I, I am like highly it. confident. I am very confident, more confident than, than I've ever been that I know the answer to this question. The answer is you have to be owned by the Alphabet Corporation. Oh. <laughs> right? It used to be like, remember, you know, years and years ago, if you wanted to rank number one in Google, you had to be on Wikipedia. Yes. Like Wikipedia just ranked number one for everything. Now, now it's just Google ranking Google's own stuff. That's what they want to rank. And at, and at the end of the day, if you need some reputable, good knowledge that you know you can trust, go to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, we've got a couple more questions for you, Rand, and then we'll get into doing our review for you, which is all very exciting. So what three tools do you rarely go a day without using? Ooh, yeah, good question. Uh, so I'm a very, very minimal external tool user. So I, I try and stick almost everything in my Gmail, in my, in my email, we have the Google Suites, uh, or Calendar. Like if it's in those two places, I do it. And if it's not, I don't. That being said, a few tools that I've been using, that we've been using a bunch for SparkToro are Wistia, specifically the Soapbox video recording. So I've been doing like a bunch of recording walkthroughs of how, you know, elements of SparkToro work in like 90 seconds or two minutes. In fact, after we uh, hang up, I have a, a long day of filming a bunch of those ahead of me. Sounds and fun. <laughs> super fun. Uh, another one that's been super useful is ProfitWell which is a, it analyzes your software as a service billing, 
uh, through Stripe, which is which is what you, we use for billing on SparkToro, and gives you a bunch of data about your retention and churn and revenue, and you can set goals in it. So that's been super useful for us to establish as we've been getting going and getting our first customers. I've been visiting that one. And then uh, I would say maybe the, the third one that I use quite a bit, like almost everyone else, is, is Google Analytics. But I almost want to be more creative than that and say yeah. uh, my other tool of choice, one that I really love, is, uh, is Pocket. So okay. Pocket allows you to basically save any article that you are interested in or visiting on the web to your Pocket account, and then it uh, makes it available offline on your phone. So when I used to do lots of air travel before coronavirus, uh, I would basically open up Pocket and do all my catch up on all my reading. And now I do that kind of, you know, at night in my random free time. I'll, uh, if I stumble across an article that I want to read on Twitter, but I'm busy at that moment, I'll, I'll save it to Pocket and then read it later. I use Pocket and I love tools where the idea behind it is really simple. I think any tool that's going to do well is those tools that makes things more efficient and easier for the person. With Pocket, you don't miss out on a great article because you can save it for later. Yeah, it's great. I think the app actually used to be called Read It Later. I almost like that name more. Well, I was going to say Pocket's shorter and sweeter, isn't it? It is, it is, but it, read it later is like, oh, I know that is exactly what that thing does. Got a theory on that. I reckon it's because read it later is SEO friendly and it's you just your program now to like SEO friendly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to go to Amazon.com. I want to go to shoponthinternet.com. <laughs> Imagine if all companies shit like had that tactic. They didn't have oh, yeah. that, oh my God. This, this has got legs in it, Hannah. We need to do something with this. Yeah, I like it. Definitely. Advertising will be great as well. So yeah, we'll go for that. <laughs> so just talking about tools again, and before we move on to the review, what do you think makes SparkToro different to anything else out there, Rand? Uh, let's see. Well, for, for one, we're not actually familiar with anyone who does this, right? Who uh, attempts to solve this problem, certainly not in this way. So I think that makes us very unique. Uh, the other thing that's unique about it is that it's a different way of searching data. So if you, you know, if you go to SparkToro, and I, I know the two of you have checked it out, it has this like phrase that you complete in order to perform a search where, where it says, my audience you know, follows the social account and then you fill in the blank. Or my audience uses these words in their profile and you fill in the blank. Or frequently talks about. And so I think there's a little bit of like a, you know, a tiny learning curve of the difference between searching SparkToro and performing a query, you know, in, in anything else, right? Like, like, like Google, right? Google is very accepting of all kinds of searches, but SparkToro is very, very specific. So if you search for my audience uses these words in their profile, you know, SEO director, it's SparkToro will only return an audience who precisely matches that, right? Only if in the bio or the job title does it contain both the word SEO and director will you get back you know, those results. And if you change the word, right? If you change it even slightly to, for example, you know, my audience uses these words in their profile, SEOs, the plural instead of SEO, 
it won't pull back people who have SEO in their profile. It'll pull back mostly people, mostly accounts that are marketing to SEOs because that's who puts the plural version of the word in their profile. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a unique way of searching this giant data set. Yeah, I think from what I've seen of it as well, by making it kind of not limited, but making it very specific to those different audience questions, that's what makes it quite accessible as well, because you're not sort of, it doesn't just bring back reams and reams of data. It tells you exactly what you expect to see from that. Yeah, I think, yeah, one of the other things, the expectations is definitely one of those ones that's a little bit challenging for us. So for for example, a lot of people who've tried it the first time have gone one of two ways, right? They've said, oh, this, you know, they, they search for an area, a niche that they know really well, right? So if they're in automotive parts, right, they, they search for people who are interested in SUVs and, the, you know, the tool returns a bunch of data and they're like, oh, this looks exactly right. You must be, you know, and then, then their assumption is, oh, SparkToro gets it. Like, you, you know, this tool really understands this niche and, and it is effective. But then there's the other side of that where people perform that search and they're like, this is obvious. Everyone who's in automotive parts knows that people who care about SUVs follow these five accounts. Why, what are you telling me that's unique? Right? And so then we have the challenge of like, yeah, but scroll down, you'll see more that you never knew about. Or yeah, but what if you don't know a niche well? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Most definitely. Okay, so because t- time is flying, isn't it? So last question, and then we will get on to the review. So Rand, I want you to pretend that the internet doesn't exist. Just imagine that. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember that time. It was, oh. uh, it was when I went outside, out back of my parents' house uh, in unincorporated King County, uh, outside of Seattle, and played with frogs as a kid. Oh, I oh, love that. Bringing, bringing back the question from before. Love it. Very smooth, Rand. <laughs> if the internet didn't exist today, what do you think you would be doing instead? Gosh. Like job-wise. I mean, yeah, I yeah. realized that that was a bit broad, but... <laughs> no, no, I think uh, that's very fair. I, it's weird. Like I, I got on the web so, so early. I was like using dial up bulletin board systems in the, in the early nineties to go chat with my friends and, you know, play the games that I wanted to play online, all that kind of stuff. I, I think, I think if the internet didn't exist, it, it's very possible. I'd want to do something artistic or creative. Could see myself doing that. Yeah. I, you- I mean, that's that's what I would love to do. I think I have like a lot of passion there. I'm not good at it, but I, hey, I wish I was. Practice, like I, Rand. Practice makes perfect. Exactly, exactly. Right. Like my hope, my hope would be that if I spent time in it, I, I could get there. Like I, Geraldine and I go to a lot of plays, and I and really love the theater. And you know, we both read a lot of fiction and watch a lot of you know fictional tv shows and i i just love storytelling i yes. really do so i would love to do something in that world and just briefly and then we will do the review but i think a big part of marketing and to be successful is the ability to storytell because oh, absolutely we as humans, we've evolved to remember stories. And I don't know about you guys, but I remember so many fairy tales <laughs> that I was told as a kid because it's memorable. You've got to have the ability to storytell, haven't you? 
But I mean, maybe we get you on. I mean, I just want to get you on again after today. But anyway, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want want Rainy back in, Seth? Yes, I could feel myself going off on a weird and wonderful tangent about storytelling. These are are my favorite parts about your podcast is when you go off on weird weird and wonderful tangents. So please don't (laughs) stop yourself on my account. (laughs) Oh my gosh, but we would be talking for hours, hours and hours. Yes. (laughs) Not that that's a bad thing, but anyway. Ah, how do I get myself out of this loop? Go, Hannah, go. Right, thank you. Yes. Okay, <laughs> let's take a look at the review then. So we wanted to be one of the first publications that reviewed Squawk Toro. So when it came out, rather than just send a review to you, we thought let's review it directly to you and then let all of our listeners listen in to how it went. So hopefully that was a good idea. <laughs> Amazing. We'll find out. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the website first, because all great tools, in my opinion, so Screaming Frog, for example, have really good brand identities and expert blogs that help you to get the most out of the tool, but also Mm -hmm. to appreciate the people behind them. On the Spark Toro website, there's a blog, there's a list of free tools and about us section, as well as the main features features of the tool. The blogs are the kind of thing you'd bookmark to read. So go into Pocket, which I actually haven't used, but will do now. And when, so yeah, you bookmark them to read when they land in your inbox. They've got titles like 10 problems plaguing influencer marketing and less than half of Google searches now result in a click, which at the time I checked that out, it already had 77 comments. Plus, there were loads of blogs live before Spark Toro as a platform even launched, which I absolutely love from an SEO perspective and from an authority point of view. So yeah, ticks just on the website to start us off. On the website as well, there's your page on the free tools. So onto the free tools then, there's trending marketing articles dubbed the front page of the web marketing world, which in my opinion is reason enough to go to the site every day. Seriously, I know I've bookmarked the page. How about you, Hannah? Yeah, it's bookmarked. Yeah, it's bookmarked or in pocket. (laughs) You know, you know what's crazy about trending? We actually use the data from trending to decide when to launch. Wow. So because what we saw was when coronavirus started, you know, dominating the news and, and Seattle, uh, I think, was actually the first city where, where we had cases in the United States uh, okay. back in February. And so we saw the traffic to trending, which is trending, you can sort of think of like, it's like Reddit or Hacker News, but all web marketing based, right? And it doesn't get tens of thousands of visits. It maybe gets a thousand visits a day, but it dipped way down in March because people were not paying attention to web marketing. They were paying attention to COVID. Yes. And... And when it started to recover in early April, and then it's you know mostly recovered now, we were like, okay, people are paying attention to web marketing again. I think it's okay to launch. Clever. Yes. I mean, data, use data to better inform your decisions. And what a better way of knowing when to launch by using data. Also on the free tools, one of my favorite ones is your fake follower audit. <laughs> you can get like a true picture of someone's account and actually see, okay, how many fake followers are there? How many bots sort of thing? So, and then there's also Spark Score Influencer Measurement Tool, which is dubbed the true influence of any Twitter account. And we did try comparing each other's on here. Um, nice. And, but what, it, what was interesting is 
I've been on Twitter for much longer than what Hannah has been, because you've only just recently joined, haven't you, Hannah? Yeah, technically rejoined, because when I was 19, I had it as well, but then I just, yeah. (laughs) And it's true that my much older Twitter account definitely has more influencer potential, so that was quite interesting to see. One of the things that I uh, that I really like about SparkScore is it it does a really nice job of capturing engagement and reach as opposed to just follower count, right? So if you look at uh, a good example is my account, right, at Randfish, which has lots of followers, right, like almost half a million followers. But uh, when you compare my SparkScore to, for example, Geraldine's, my wife's, um, she's at Everywhereist. And she has a higher, I think she still has a higher Spark score than I do because what's, what Spark score tries to measure is not how many people you might reach, but how many people you do reach. So if, ah. if Geraldine sends a tweet, it tends, to be re- it tends to reach more people than if I send a tweet. And that is because her engagement per tweet is so much higher than mine, right? She just... You can see, right, She's, she often sends mess, uh, tweets that get thousands or even tens of thousands of likes and comments and retweets. And I'm usually in the dozens to hundreds, which, yeah, you know, mine is, my stuff is more niche, right? I'm yeah, sort of yeah. boring corporate. And Geraldine's like interesting and fun and enjoyable by tons of people and sometimes politically controversial, which, which works well on oh. Twitter too. When you did your sports scores, what was the atmosphere like in the household? <laughs> was it a bit <laughs> like, <"Ooh." laughs> No, no. We, I mean, we had this, we, the, the impetus for Spark Score came because I looked at Geraldine's Twitter analytics. Like I looked at hers and I saw, okay, she has like a, you know, a fifth or a sixth the number of followers that I do. Even when her account was much smaller and she had like 20 or 30,000 followers, I looked and I was like, gosh, it's, it's crazy that, the number of impressions you receive per tweet that you send is so much higher, often an order of magnitude higher than what I send. And then I, uh, I actually reached out to a bunch of people and was like, hey, could you send me your impressions you know, for, for a bunch of your tweets, like your Twitter statistics? And when I got those back, I realized we, we need a tool for this because Twitter does a terrible job of showing you who's actually reaching people in a space. Awesome. That's really cool to know. We also really want to just cover the about section too. So it says who you are. It says Spark Tora's mission, vision and more, which is so refreshing to see, by the way. It's not the bare minimum. It's written as though people are actually going to be interested and read it, which people actually still do for about this section, despite many people thinking otherwise. Yeah, myth. Yeah. My favorite bit is where it says Spark Tora's goal is to be more of a zebra than a unicorn. And it references things like quality over quantity, benefiting the public and communities rather than shareholders and individuals, sharing resources and focusing on enough or better rather than constantly more. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I, you know, Moz was a, a venture-backed company, right? It was trying to be a unicorn. It still is. And, you know, that's the model that works for venture investors. But I, I don't know. I, I don't love it. It is not, I, it's not for me. Right. That's not that's not the model that I want to go after. I wish, you know, I wish when I was younger and I was raising money that I had better understood how that world worked and didn't. And I guess, you know, this is just the benefit of getting older is you you realize who you are and what you really want to do with your personal and professional life. And I yeah, I want to build something that's a zebra, not a unicorn. 
I mean, there's always the saying, isn't there, that hindsight is a beautiful thing. But anyway, so then quickly touching on the pricing and plan section. And we don't really need to go too much into this because it's so simple to check out for for yourselves. Plans range from free, basic, premium and unlimited priced at $112 to $450 per month. There's also a seven day pass priced at $450. And I think that's all pretty reasonable. And there's also the free version. So yeah, definitely anyone who's listened to this podcast, go and check out the free version. And then you can cancel anytime and have one-to-one email support. The the email support is provided by uh, one person. That is me. (laughs) it's really it's kind of fun you know i get to be i get to be ceo slash customer service and i I kind of love it like i i interact with i email everyone who signs up for spark toro personally right just write them a a standard gmail message and go check out their website when they sign up and you know some usually send them something about that and it's been great like i just when we were talking earlier about like knowing your customers and learning more about them and understanding their motivations, that part has been really enjoyable. I've actually found some people who've signed up. There was a, um, a company that makes wallets out of, I think, Oregon, and they signed up and they ended up sending me a wallet <laughs> because we just had a great conversation over email. There was this bone broth company in Texas that ended up signing up and Geraldine and I placed a huge order of bone broth from them. <laughs> Uh, because we're, we're locked inside and we need bone broth. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's been really cool. I mean, yeah, those insights must be crazy. And I think if, if every CEO was customer service for a while, that would be pretty, uh, pretty good for them. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, I can't recommend that enough. I wish I'd done it more at Moz. Right, well, on to the juicy stuff then. So the platform itself, there are four separate areas and we're going to run through them one by one. So we're going to start with the My Audience section, which you've already mentioned, and it's where you can choose from the options. So My Audience frequently talks about, uses these words in their profile, follows the social account, frequently visits visits the website, frequently uses the hashtag, and for any of those, what you do is you just obviously input whatever that is. So if it was, I don't know, hashtag bone broth, then that's what you would see. And yeah, or the website for that place. So it's all really straightforward. So when I check that out, I use the word vegan in the profile. So you won't know this Rand, but I am vegan and also work somewhere that sells loads of really good vegan products. So it was literally the first thing that came to mind. And the results, I'm just going to go through some of the insights that you get back. So first thing was that it was a large audience size, which I was really happy about. It was widely homogenous in behavior similarity and I know you, you pronounce that differently I think it's homogeneous to say it in in the states but yeah I, I literally oh, no, no, no. We, uh, we say it the same way you do homogenous oh, yeah. you? oh yeah. good I did research it and it was I think uh, yeah YouTube's lying to me um, <laughs> <laughs> it has a moderate moderately high audience confidence level and again that was really nice to know of the social accounts that are commonly followed 439% follow, share, and or engage with the vegan society. And it gives the number two. So it gave me the number in thousands for that. So it was 1,130. 
I also got the websites visited, podcasts followed and YouTube channels, all with the numbers of visitors and percentages. So this is already really useful. I'd know exactly where to pitch the tone of a campaign based on just some of this information. So for example, if I was going to do a campaign to vegans, I'd be thinking more Beyonce than Olivia Newton-John, for example, as Mm. well as have a list of all the channels and publications to target. But it doesn't stop there. The audience insights were then also really cool. So common words and phrases used in the bios. So 4.7% had the word feminist, 2.7% runner and 1.5% cats. And which is hilarious for me because I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily class myself as all of those things, but I can think actually that's, that's, yeah, (laughs) it's very true. Yeah. It's really, it's really fun to run through those words and get this like sense of what people in that realm might be talking about, paying attention to. Yeah. Like for example, one of the things I see for frequently used words and phrases, and maybe you'll know what this means, but I don't know what it means is straight edge. No, no idea. Yeah. Huh. Fascinating. A lot of people apparently say straight edge vegan or vegan straight edge. I don't, yeah, I don't know what that means, but I, I would look it up, right? Like I would try and figure out what that was so that I understand it when I'm speaking to this audience. Hannah's going to be Googling that later. How do I I become a straight edge vegan? Is that me? (laughs) The next bit was really cool. So frequently used hashtags were things like dairy free, gluten-free and plant-based which are all three completely different target audiences so I'd actually go back and look at all those different three and do the whole thing all over again because they're all three completely different type of vegans that was cool the most active networks was next and again this was really useful for when perhaps forecasting how much paid social media budget should go where so the results were 58.3% Facebook 50.7% 50.7% Instagram, 27.7% YouTube, and 11.6% Pinterest, probably all the recipes being shared. But mm. I'd actually, yeah, I'd check that theory out. That, that's quite interesting that Facebook wins there because I was always under the impression that food do really well on Instagram. Um, and it still does really well because it's like 50, but it's interesting that Facebook was more. It's not the food though necessarily, is it? It's sometimes the message. So yes, if it's, I suppose. If it's a, yeah, if it's an example of something happening in the world, that would probably get a lot of reach on Facebook because you can't really hide as well from it. Whereas Instagram, it's so easy just to scroll, scroll past. Yeah, um, yeah, good point. Things. Just, just good a point. theory. Rand, Hannah is always right. Hannah is always right. <laughs> she's not, she's not. All right, this, um, is, this is incredible. I figured out what straight edge is. Oh, yeah. It is a like community and a self-descriptor for punk hardcore fans who've made a commitment to themselves to live a drug-free life oh cool and apparently there's a big crossover between veganism and straight edge yeah like the the communities have this strong overlap incredible like i love finding stuff like this (laughs) fascinating yeah, well, that's just another facet to it. That's, that's brilliant. That would be an extra bit to research. So that's really cool. Yeah. It also gives average posts per week and a handy graph to visualize that, followed by city, state and country geographic distributors. So yeah, loads, loads more than I've just covered. I've literally skimmed on the top of that. But what I like best about the area were the common words and phrases. I really love that you can get this. It's so personal. And just using the three that I mentioned above, it's just such a strong persona. And like you say, things like straight edge just adds so much more to that if you did a little bit more research. And I mean, you might want to think, okay, what does that say to me? Does that say, I don't know, ethics? Or does that say hippie? And you'd you'd look, again, you'd look even further. So yeah, really, really cool. 
And in terms of things that I would improve, so firstly, I didn't know what homogenous meant. So I don't know if it's a me thing or a most people thing, but I think mm. if it was a first time user, it might give them, if that's the first thing they see, they might think there's going to be a lot of jargon involved, which isn't true, but it just, yeah, that, I don't know, it just struck me. But then again, most people probably know it basically just means that audiences are alike. Yeah, I wonder if there's a, a word we could use instead of homogenous. That's a excellent suggestion because I, I also hate jargon in products. Yeah, I just didn't know what it meant. I just I thought, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I stole it. it. We stole it from um, how they do election polling. So oh. when they describe like a you know voters as having homogenous versus uh, very diverse perspectives or opinions. But do you know yeah, what it yeah. meant, Seth? Come on, Hannah, do you really need to ask that question? You know me. Of course I didn't. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Amazing. You never know. I don't know. But yeah, and the only other thing was that the geographic distributors didn't load for me on mobile that quickly. So, And I was being impatient at the time, so I just moved on the first time I tried. I want to be really honest. Second time, it worked absolutely fine, and it really was worth the wait because percentage by city would be really, really helpful for campaigns, for et cetera. But it's, um, yeah, first time I, le- I was like, okay, I need to move on and just look at something else right now because it didn't load. Oh, yeah, the on the Audience Insights tab where it takes some of the, uh, whatever, the sections could take a bit yeah. to load. Yeah, yeah, that is frustrating. <laughs> Only a tiny bit. It was all good. Awesome. Casey will listen to this and he'll be like, let me tell you why that happened. But- <laughs> <laughs> hey, if he wants to come on the podcast, he is more Oh, my God, welcome. he's so... He's so delightful. Like he's huh. just, he's got that like American Midwestern friendliness, but also slash crotchety crankiness. It's, it's this <laughs> delightful it. combination. Love it. He's, awesome. Uh, so I, our PR. <laughs> I am going to move on to the compare an audience to another audience. So here there's compare an audience that frequently talks about, uses these words in their profile, follows the social account, frequently visits the website and frequently uses the hashtag. Um, So it does that to an audience that match any of the above things. So here you can mix and match or just compare like for like. So compare frequently talks about frogs. I love how many times we've referenced frogs now. That, that, that's just insane. Um, but <laughs> yeah, talk, They're amazing. They are amazing. Up the frogs. Uh, talks about frogs to frequently talks about spiders, for example, or frequently visits the website BuzzFeed to follows the social account Lad Bible. Mm. So... For example, I was having a bit of fun with this too and thought I'd see whether audience for the age old cats versus dog were similar. And to be honest, being a dog owner, I wanted to see if the dog's audience was bigger. Um, so yes, and so I'm a dog owner and Hannah is um, a wonderful cat, cat mum. I was going to call <laughs> you a cat woman. Oh God! I don't know what that means. Crazy cat lady. Uh, crazy cat lady. Uh, yes. So I compared audiences that frequently talks about cats to one that frequently talks about dogs. And I want to share some of the insights that I found when I was doing that research. So starting with first, how straight away there was differences. So in behavior similarity levels, cats were moderately diverse while dogs were moderately, say the word for me, Hannah. Homogenous. Thank you. Uh, I knew I was going to fluff that up. There was also about 
double the social account following for dogs than cats so sorry hannah we know you love posting your pictures of your cats but i don't think people who follow dogs are more on social than cats i think i need to post more or post more yes there there you go (laughs) so but what is great about this tool so obviously straight away there was differences but there was some consistency interestingly so Both top five phrases used in bios had rescue in them. And interestingly, people whose bios mentioned dogs also mentioned cats and vice versa. So which could be a data headache when it comes to segmenting them now. But I'd, I suppose I'd need to go back and put cats, comma dogs into Sparktorio to look at the data set that uses both in more detail. And a, another bit consistency was it was the same for top websites. So both had the dodo.com and petfinder.com as well as separate dog and cat related ones, which is all very interesting and insightful. And then by geography, that was really interesting. So top five metro areas for cats included greater city of Westminster. Whole dogs had a greater Jersey City area, which was very interesting. And what that sort of says to me is that people living in Westminster are more likely to have cats than dogs. And there's loads more of these similar parallels that can be drawn. So, so yeah, that was, yeah, even like taking a subject of like cats versus dogs was like so insightful and really interesting. And you can completely rabbit hole off the back of that because now you've told me that people living in Westminster are more likely to have cats I'm thinking okay posh cats cat toys cat beds and what how expensive are they in Westminster compared to I don't know Jersey do you know what I mean yeah definitely definitely so what did I like best about this area so I really like how this is just the starting point and like you just said Hannah it shoots off ideas for food get my words in my mouth, shoots off (laughs) ideas for further areas to research. So when I first tried out this tool, I thought, I reckon a lot of people will be happy with the free tool. But actually, like, you can easily use 10 searches to get more detailed segmented data for things like cats versus dogs, cats and dogs, cats in London, dogs in Jersey, And then gone on to look at comparing to an audience that follows the social account, the dodo.com, to one that doesn't. So as much as like the free account is awesome, if you can afford it, pay for it because you can just get so granular and you can get real good insight. There's so much more to be done and so much deeper you can go than just one level. However, in some cases, one level would probably give more than enough to have you covered for planning out a campaign. Was there anything I would improve? So uh, I suppose, Rand, what I would like to know is how big the geography, geography, why can't I say that word? (laughs) Geographical. Thank you. Areas in the top five are. Is it representative of that cats are more popular in Westminster? Or is that compared to a much larger or smaller area in the dog's choices? So I suppose rough population sizes would be amazing yeah, control for density that makes total sense yeah so, what so it, it possible yeah that seems totally reasonable i think all we'd have to do is just download a public data set of you know each each area's population and then we could show like you know as a percentage of population so instead of just raw 
popularity, it could have a per capita option. Awesome. That'd be great. Mm, definitely. That's super cool. Yeah, really cool. Cool. So next, there's the get intel about people that follow, visit, or share. And then you can either input a social profile or a website. So this, I knew this was going to be really cool. I just thought, yeah, we, we really need to look at some proper, proper, really good accounts in here. So, of course, we use Gymshark. So we know they're smashing it on social media. And as an ex-Gymshark myself, I thought if I, I'd see if I could find out anything that shocked me. And the first what, metric... What's the brand? Gymshark. Gymshark, okay. Yeah. So they're in the UK, but they're massive in the US. Yeah. Um, they, they do beautiful clothes. And I mean, I don't know why Hannah doesn't still work there because you got amazing discount. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. Have you heard of them, Rand? They're in this sportswear. No, okay. no, I haven't heard of them, but I'm, I'm checking them out right now. And yeah, fascinating. You might be impressed by their Spark score. So I'll go on. So the Spark am, score. <laughs> <laughs> so it measures relative reach of a social account based on followers and applications as amplification sorry as you were saying earlier and Gymshark's is 71 out of 100 which I guess is pretty good yeah very good yeah. better than mine oh <laughs> so they've got 64 out of 100 engagement which measures the quantity of replies comments shares and discussion received by the social account they only do five average posts per week and a 21 average post per month so that well I know they're doing really good but that just confirmed to me actually they're they're nice metrics they're killing it yeah, so I thought this is really cool if you're looking for how much engagement you need to be anywhere near if you want Gymshark's level of success, if you want to yes, compare yourself. Definitely, and this is one that we looked at together, wasn't it? So yeah. frequently use words in bios of followers weren't surprising, were they? Because uh, yeah. what we found was that they included gym, personal training, athlete. So you sort of, there's no shockers there. Like they sort of make sense. However, what was really interesting was like the websites that were frequented by Gymshark followers. So for example, top three here was on.nfl.com. So the NFL website, townhall.com and ladbible. So so can I ask a quick question? You ran these searches a little while ago, right? Yeah, yeah. This was last week or the week before. Yeah, okay. So it's it's changed already, which makes me think, like one of the ones in here that it's listing is the Spider-Man Far From Home movie. Oh. Wow. Which is fascinating, right? So there must have been some overlap. I wonder if there was a promotional thing between yeah. Gymshark and the, and the movie. It's oh. really- but it could just be the audience. Sorry, sir. Well, yeah. I was gonna. I mean, I was gonna go silly and just say maybe Jim Gary's always wa- wants spidey powers as well. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm guessing there's some connection to. Okay, there's a meme. Apparently, there's a popular Jim Shark and Spider Man meme that once yeah. I started searching in Google, as soon as I put Jim Shark S, it was like Jim Shark Spider Man meme. So. Ah, that is what's going on. See, isn't this wonderful, people? Um, (laughs) I'm having a wonderful time. So, and city-level demographics of followers were so cool to see because, and I'd imagine that Gymshark already know a lot of this, but if they didn't, they could easily see where to plan their next big event. So top cities included Greater Washington, D.C., 4.5%, 4.5%, London, 3.2%, LA, 
2.6%. And then randomly, Sheffield, 2.3%. Have you heard of Sheffield before? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, familiar with it. Yeah, so I think what's fascinating is not just for Gymshark's own data, but if you're a competitor or if you're trying to reach a similar, an audience that you know has an affinity for Gymshark, this kind of data can be priceless. Yeah, and to be honest, it, this is what one of those areas that did surprise me a bit because I was surprised to see Sheffield in there, but not Birmingham, where, where they're based. I was less surprised to see the mix of US and UK because, like I say, I know they're, they're big markets, but it's, um, it's again, it's yeah, kind I of nice. Birmingham, Birmingham is just right under Manchester for me, so like number 10 or so. Ah, cool. But part of this, part of the problem might be the controlling for population. So I like your idea of, you know, can you control for population density and then see, oh, well, maybe they are, maybe they have tons of people in whatever, Los Angeles or DC, Mm. but per capita, they're really big in Newcastle or something. Yeah, that'd be be awesome. I mean, this bit, I mean, all of it is awesome, but this, this for any company would be really cool. So we obviously ran, tried it for SEO, SES, and our results were Greater Durham area, um, 16.9%. London, 5.6%. Then, though, interestingly, Toronto, 4.9%. Then Montreal. Montreal? Yes, I did say that right. Uh, 4.2%. NY, 2.8%. And then Manchester, 2.1%. And Mm. even more interestingly, despite the split in cities there, the crunchy level results were a bit surprising. So, for example... USA was 50%, so the biggest. Mm. Then UK, 12.2%. Then Canada, 8.5%. South Africa, 7.4%. France, 4.8%. And, and there were loads more. But that's really interesting that because we, we were under the impression that USA and UK listeners were 50-50. But that's not what we're finding out with this tool, is it, Hannah? No, not at all. And I think it's that's surprised us and we have metrics for that kind of thing but I guess we just don't check them that quickly and and that often so again even if you're already checking that kind of thing it's still worth checking it out on SparkToro as well. Well and SparkToro remember is going to be it's going to be different from your analytics in terms of it won't tell you people who are visitors right so Google Analytics would would use basically the device location but SparkToro will tell you of the people who interacted or engaged with your content on social platforms or who link to it from their websites, uh, their about pages, where do they say they are? Yeah. Right? What's, yeah, what's their sort of self-reported location? So it, it's very possible, right? If you, let's say, have a, I don't know, a LinkedIn post that does really well and reaches a lot of people on social, you might find, oh, gosh, this, our social stuff is doing well with an audience in France or something. And that's being represented here. Yeah. Well, I just, I just ran the SEO SaaS one and, uh, you know, I was looking at the, at the social accounts and apparently 65% of the, you know, 500 social accounts that we, that SparkToro has analyzed that follow SEO SaaS uh, also follow this Randfish guy. Sounds like a good podcast for you then, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I should probably go on it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be silly not to. Uh, um, one more area I wanted to just quickly mention about Gymshark were the frequently used words in shares by Gymshark followers. How cool is it that you can see that, by the way? I just wanted to mention that. 
these these actually included so favorite was 21 percent body was 19 percent sleep 17 percent and holiday 17 percent so mm. yeah really well, you, random well you want the holiday body don't you the beach body and the yeah. sleep and um, well yes sleep is important yes you should be getting your eight hour i don't know what's recommended eight hours seven hours a night i think it's, I think it's I think it's nine hours in bed, eight hours of sleep. Uh, oh, sounds amazing. I mean, that just, mi- Rand, we already told you that we, we go to bed really, really early. You've just allowed us an hour earlier. So thank you. <laughs> maybe, maybe just wake up later? <laughs> How much is going on in the morning anyway? <laughs> well, if you were awake, Rand, you'd know. So, you know, I felt a bit I mean, sassy then. You don't uh, stay awake watching Netflix all night? That's so weird. <laughs> Finally, we could also see social accounts frequented by Gymshark followers. And the top three were very nice and varied. So we had Steve Cook at 15%. And that's one of their athletes, I believe. I um, don't know if you know that, Hannah. Or, yep, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Post Malone, 17%. So maybe you could send some gifted gear to because you know that they they like post malone i i sound so like old saying post malone and not down with the kids do i but he's some sort of rapper and then athlete 14 percent uh, a competitor so yeah i mean that's that's interesting to see and lots that you can do there so moving on to what did we like best about this area for me this part of the tour is epic for seeing what you need to do to get to the same level as a competitor on twitter and I think for the, the insights around locations is really cool for me. I think it's mind-blowing for any brand and so fast to get that. So before, I've done that where we've gone through order history or trying to find a way where you can find out from social media, but this just gives it to you straight away. So I, that was my favourite bit. Sweet. So, just had, had some water. We've done a lot of talking this evening, haven't we? Was, was there anything I would improve? So... I would like to see broken down by different types of social media accounts. That would be awesome. Mm. Um, Because I'd imagine what people put in their Twitter bios is different to what they put in their Instagram or YouTube ones a lot of the time. Yeah, being able to splice and dice by the different different platforms. Because right now we munge them all together uh, to make them searchable. But yeah, that's, that's a really clever request. Yeah, makes sense. Nice. And my area for potential improvement here would be for the frequently used words in shares to be trended throughout the year. So for Mm. example, are Gymshark followers only talking about sleep recently or is it most months? And for holiday, is that seasonal or throughout the year by country? Yep. Yep. I definitely, I definitely want to do that. I think one of the, one of the things that uh, Casey and I want to build is a track an audience feature where you can essentially say like, I want to track these audiences over time and then we'll essentially show you the change uh, visually and with, you know, with a table of data as those things change. So maybe, you know, if the SEO SaaS account starts seeing that, for example, someone new is trending with your followers, right? Maybe you invite that person as a guest, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, they yeah, pop yeah. Up. yeah. Amazing. Okay, so last two areas of the review, and then it'll be time for our favorite part of the podcast, which you you can't escape, Rand. It's the feature. 
<laughs> so the final area of SparkToro we checked out was the lists. So here you can make a list of anything from hashtags to use, keywords to check search volume for, websites to advertise on, podcasts to feature on, <coughs> cough, S-E-R-S-A-S, <coughs> cough, uh, lists of publications to outreach to, and so much more. And the best bit is once you've created a list, you can add results from a search to it and start tracking them. So that's a really cool bonus little feature there, I think. Yeah, love it. <laughs> Rand, thank you so much for giving us access to SparkToro to check it out. We really enjoyed trialing it and we'll both definitely be using it in the future. Before we move on to the feature, do you have anything else that you would like to say about SparkToro or anything you'd like to ask us? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think... No, I think I think gave it an incredibly comprehensive review and... Um, yeah, hopefully as we add more stuff and, and improve the data set uh, over time, it'll get even more valuable for you all. Amazing. Thank you. So today's feature will be about true or false startups. Ooh. Happy with that? Love it. I mean, Rand, Hannah is very good at making stuff up. So <laughs> just as a heads up there, she's quite sneaky. Okay, okay. Good to know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so only in features, Rand, not in most life. But um, okay, so the, the source of this is Forbes.com and it was top startups to work for in 2019 according to LinkedIn. So these are from the US and there are eight altogether, four are real and four are false. Okay. Pretty straightforward. So, number one, so Rand, you get to go first as our guest. The company is called Cube. It's a stocks and shares mobile app. True or false? No, I don't, I don't like it. I've never heard of it. False. <laughs> okay, Sarah? Oh, see, because you were so confident there, Rand, I kind of want to copy you, but kind of don't. So I'm going to go the other side and say true. It was false. So Rand got that one right. Oh. Next one. Sarah, you get to go first on this one. Okay. Uh, a company called Glossier. It's an online beauty retailer known for its pink packaging. Oh, I mean, this has Hannah written all over it. Or is it not? I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, go against my gut because my gut is normally wrong and say true. Okay, Rand? Yeah, I, I love Glossier. They're amazing. <laughs> our, our friend Steph Chang, uh, who used to work at Distilled, was, was running uh, online advertising for them. So, yes, great, great company. Love them. Okay, well, yeah, you've answered that one correct, as you well know. So, yeah, that's <laughs> very good. I think you've got a bit of advantage here. I didn't think, I didn't think of that in, did I? Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, you're not really, are you, Hannah? <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next one. How Kadiki Book It? It's a Greek Thai mix takeout food chain. Can you say the name again, please? How Kadiki Book It. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, no, I, no, I, uh-uh. <laughs> that's, that doesn't exist. I feel like I should follow you, Ran, because you seem to know what you're on about. Uh, <laughs> if it does, I, I'm going to be amazed. It's incredible. Okay, uh, I'm going to be the positive, the positive one here and say true. <laughs> it's false. Oh, oh look at that. <laughs> Where did you come up with that name? I thought it was good. I'd go there. That's solid. <laughs> okay, the next one is Bizkit Tin, spelled B-I-Z-K-I-T, Tin, and it's a robotics company. Is it me first? 
this one is yes it is you first say yeah okay can you say the url again it's just bizkitin b-i-z-k-i-t tin and, and they do robots a robotics company yeah <laughs> they do robots what do i sound like um <laughs> let's go with false okay rant uh, yeah i'm gonna go with uh, yeah i'll go with false as well you're both Never correct it's false Woo! Look at I us. I thought that was good. We're nailing it. We work well as a team, Rand. Just, <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> okay, next one. So Rand's go first on this one. Company called Lime, Dockless Bikes and Scooters. Yep. Uh, Lime, I know well. I wouldn't go to work for them now. My understanding is they had nasty layoffs because of COVID. But uh, yes, they are real. Well, I'm are. Not, well, I can't call Rand a liar, can I? No, <laughs> so good point so true i should have done this for like a i don't know a company like outer mongolia or something so that yeah <laughs> i didn't think this through next one is ripple sarah you get to go first it's for sending money across the world using blockchain yes rand i think that's true too you're both correct it's true Woo. next one uh rand's go first is a company called cameo it's an app for buying personalized video shout outs from celebrities gosh <laughs> Sounds real? <laughs> oh, you've got him thinking, Hannah. Yeah, no, I, I've never heard of it. It doesn't About sound time. familiar, but it sounds possible. I'm going to go with true. Okay, Seth? I am going to say, why am I in slow motion? Who knows? False. It was true. Wow. When okay. will I learn? Just follow <laughs> Rand. I know. <laughs> the last one is a company called Camel. It's a sustainable shoe startup. Ooh, gosh. I feel like if I had a good memory, I would remember how many ones were false and correct. And you already told us there were four that were false and four true. <laughs> so then That's a good I point. Would, I would know, but my memory is terrible, even short term. And so I can't recall if we had three or four already. I think they don't exist. I think it's... Wait. Yeah, because the last one... Yeah, let's go with false. Oh, logic. I hate that. Oh. There you go. Well, I mean, why break a habit here? I'm just going to go with true, aren't I? Just, just for It's fun. false. It's oh. false. Oh, my gosh. So, Look at me so, counting. I know. <laughs> um, don't teach Sarah things like that. It's not good. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> so there is a forfeit on this one, Sarah. Oh, of course there is. Of yeah, course. Is. Okay, so... If you had to think of your own company name right now, what would it be? Flippity Poppets. And what would it do? Flippity Poppets? What would Flippity Poppets? <laughs> Where the hell did that come from? Flippity Poppets would... It's a ridiculous... It's a, it, it's a ridiculous business where ridiculous <laughs> stuff happens <laughs> i really can't think of the top of I my think head it sounds good as a pancake company flippity thank poppets. you there we go yes flippity poppet we have pancake recipes we have but they're made with artificial intelligence <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> i love, I love how we all work together there i mean yeah, i really AI powered pancakes i think actually all all baking related goods but but with an ai model so we you know we machine learn off of the previous baked goods you've enjoyed and then deliver you the perfect cookie or cake or pancake. 
it's got to be it's got to be vegan as well because of hannah's like you know we've got yes, to about that. audience you know audience insight and all that right does that mean no butter yeah no butter just fake butter yeah fake you gotta butter. fake it till you make it guys <laughs> all right i mean i'm very much looking forward to the lab grown animal proteins world where essentially uh we can all be vegan without any compromise because everything is vegan that yes. sounds good to me too <laughs> right really saddens me to say that that brings us to the end of this week's episode and talking to you rand oh well it was lovely to join you both thank you so much for having me and thank you for making this wonderful podcast oh you're yeah. so welcome it's you been our are, pleasure you are so welcome so if people want to find out about the tool about yourself or like get chatting to you how where can they find you in the tool we are at sparktoro.com and uh if you want to reach out to me or have any questions i'm i'm rand at sparktoro.com over email or at randfish on twitter awesome hannah how we need to do our bits and bobs don't we so yes I'll, I'll leave that to you. Lovely. So you can email us at hello at seosespodcast.com. We're on Twitter, SEO underscore SES, or you'll find Sarah at Sarah McDuck or me at SEO SES Hannah, which is very SEO friendly. <laughs> and um, <laughs> or we're both on LinkedIn. Find us on LinkedIn. Yes. And just a little ask if you do listen to our podcast and you look and you enjoy it, please do subscribe. And if you're feeling extra generous, it would mean the world if you could leave us a review because that would make mine and Hannah's day. So yeah, we've just got to say goodbye. Thank you again, Ran. Goodbye. Thank, yes. Thank you. Thank Bye. you so much, Ran. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>